Welcome to Passionate and Prosperous, the only podcast about creating success in your life and business by using your voice, gifts, and skills to do the work that lights you up, make money, and have massive impact in the world. This show teaches coaches, creatives, and service-oriented human beings how to trust in yourself and leverage your unique message, experience, and expertise to attract your ideal audience, create clients, and organically build your soul-aligned business. I'm your host, mindset and business strategy coach, Stacey Brass Russell, and I can't wait to help you to set yourself up for success and use your passion to create the prosperous life and business that you truly desire. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Passionate and Prosperous. Today, we are going to be having a great conversation, (laughs) I'll be having it, about being ready. And before I dive into sharing with you what I want to tell you today, I just want to remind you that we have a really fun thing that happens inside the Passion and Prosperous community every single Monday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, which is that we get together and talk about the show. I felt like I wanted there to be an opportunity for us to come together. I get so many wonderful messages and comments from people who listen and love episodes and shows. And I just decided that it would be so awesome if we could just hang out for a half hour once a week and you can ask me questions. We can like talk about like what you liked or what's working for you. Um, Sometimes people get a little bit of coaching. So I hope that you will mark your calendar and join us. I just post the Zoom link in the Facebook group. So this isn't something that you have to sign up for. We don't send out emails about it. It really is be in the community join the Zoom if you can. If you can't, watch it in the Facebook group. And it's just a way for us to to keep the connection going in between the episodes. All right. So as you know, a lot of my topics that I come in here with are um, inspired by my clients, by the things that are coming up for everyone. And, you know, from sometimes they're inspired, obviously, by my experience, like what I'm working on or when I have a big aha and then I come share it with you. Um, and I have talked a little bit about this particular thing really early on in the episodes, like definitely in like the first 10, um, one of the episodes is about saying yes before you know how. And in that episode, I talk about how important it is to not get held back by what I call like the I'll be ready when syndrome. Sometimes I refer to it like that. I'll be ready when syndrome. Um, And how when opportunities are presented to us, um, that we need to say yes to things, even if we're in that moment, not exactly sure how it's all going to play out, or we don't know how to do the thing, right? Which it's important to remember that once we say yes to something, then we just can always find out uh, how to do it. Um, But I have like a little, I feel like what I want to talk about today is even like a little different than that. It's like, it's like subtly different than just saying yes, uh, 
or saying that you're going to do something or taking an opportunity um, before you necessarily think you know how. It is related to the like, I'll be ready when syndrome. But I do think it's going to be really interesting for you to just focus in this one little way about being ready. So one of the things that I teach my clients to do that I coach on um, is to create content that you can put out into the world. I mean, this is not news to you if you listen to the show um, to attract clients and to you know, build no love and trust. So I, I teach my yellow brick road system of organic business strategy and what populates your yellow brick road. There are things that people can be attracted to join you for, right? Like whether it's a workshop or a training or a challenge, or even just your posting on social media and then creating resources, creating, having an email list, like all of these are things that we do to find, you know, our people to get them onto our path, to provide value and be of service to them and stay top of mind and really like be available so that, um, first of all, we have people to make offers to like, those are the people that we offer our services to. And so that also, if they're not necessarily ready to take us up on a on an, on an offer, um, the moment they become aware of us, that there's a way for them to stay connected to us. Right. So that it's not that like they see us once and then all of a sudden poof, we're gone and they have no way of maintaining that connection or maintaining that thread. So I teach to create experiences, to create, um, you know, workshops, trainings, whatever you want to call it, webinars, talks, um, to be present and to put yourself out there. And one of the other things that we know is just the way that things are evolving, right? The way that things are evolving because of technology and like just the way the world is evolving is that being on video, putting yourself out there with like your face and voice is essential now, right? It used to be that you could get away with just like having a website and maybe a photo of you, like a headshot. But what we know is that really in order to, you know, like make room for yourself in the landscape that you do have to be, you have to be showing up. You have to be using your voice. You have to be, um, you know, creating opportunities for people to connect with the real you, not even just a photo of you. So when people come work with me um, as their coach, whether it's one-on-one or in the academy, which, um, by the way, don't forget that the Passionate and Prosperous Academy is always open for enrollment. Um, We, at the time of this episode, we've got um, a bunch of new people who are joining who just uh, decided to join after they took my Know Your Niche training uh, in January. Um, But we have a spot for you. So whenever you're ready to come and step fully into your power and get really clear on your message and on what you're here to do. And as soon as you're ready for me to help you to like really put your passionate mission out into the world and do the work that you're here to do, not only working with your clients, but doing what I'm saying, right? Creating content, being visible, growing your audience, having a massive impact, That's what the Academy is about, right? I'm here to help you to have impact and to feel that your talent and your ideas and and 
your thought leadership and what you're here to say and do and the kind of transformation that you're here to provide in the world that that you get it out there. You're not going to stay a best kept secret. Right. Okay. So that was my little, that was a little commercial for the academy. But anyway, um, what I do with my clients and in the academy and one on one is this is a, a focus. This is a focus. So, so I guess I should say if you don't want to <laughs> create content that helps you to get noticed and helps you to attract people and you don't want to be a speaker or put yourself out there or be, you know, teach stuff or whatever, maybe I'm not for you. Um, so, but this is what we do. And so all the time, all the time. Like I constantly have someone, someone more, multiple people creating something that they're going to put out. Right. And one of the first things that I make everyone do is put a date on the calendar, you know, because I know how much more comfortable it is to not even put the date on the calendar because you think that you can do all of this preparation and get ready before you even want to put the date on the calendar. And I, I, I come up against this with clients all the time. This like this, and I think it's like, I call it like a false belief or like a false thinking, or like I, sometimes I call it an error, like a thinking error. And it's this thinking error that says before you can even commit or put it on the calendar, even if it's like, six weeks away or two months away, you have to already feel 100% ready, prepared, like you know exactly how to do it, that somehow you're going to be able to like to prep to that extent that all of a sudden you're going to feel like I got this, you know, and that you're going to all of a sudden think that doing something that you've never done before is going to feel any different than just that. Like as if there's some level of preparation that could make doing something that you've never done before not feel like you're doing something that you've never done before, right? And I have to talk to people all the time about how like that's not a thing. There's no level of preparation that we can do for anything that's going to take away the fact that we've never done it before. So you might as well not delay, right? Since you're never going to get that. We might as well not delay, right? And we might as well put the date on the calendar because if we don't, then you're never, ever, ever, ever going to ever think you're ready anyway. So it's never going to happen, right? This is like what I deal with constantly. So I just happen to be in a season, right? Where we're in the beginning of the year and I've got a bunch of clients who are, doing stuff, right? Like I'm like, because this is like also what I'm here for is to make sure, right, that my clients do these things. If they weren't working with me, they might not. If they weren't working with me, they might not be doing any of these things, right? So my job is to say, okay, what are we doing? Let's get it on the calendar. Let's get it going. So I've got a bunch of people who are doing things right now. And, you know, there's a range of some of my clients have already been working with me for a long time. I've got people that have been working with me for more than six months, more than one year, more than two years. So, and that's another thing to remember that we don't only work with our coaches or mentors if we're like suffering, struggling, or having a hard time. That actually we work with our coaches and our mentors throughout our entire, you know, <laughs> like existence uh, because we can only go farther and accelerate our results and, 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 and just 
be better at being entrepreneurs and being ourselves when we've got support. So I'm just putting that out there too. Um, So that's why I have clients that have been with me for years, not because, you know, they're struggling, but because of the opposite, but because they know that when they work with me, I, I can, I help them evolve. Like I help them keep going and, 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 and doing bigger and better things even. Right. So so I've got a spectrum of people that like have, you know, they like they totally feel um, comfortable now creating workshops and, you know, how to structure things. And then we launch them. We get people to sign up and all that. And then I've got some people who are really brand new. And what I what I am currently you know, kind of talking to a lot of people about is what I'm, what I'm here to say, what I'm here to talk about today, which is, you know, I have one client who, um, (laughs) she, so my clients that were going to be one-on-one have two one-on-one sessions a month. And I always say like, they get spread out, you know, that you spread them out. You have one, one week and then, you know, like skip a week and have your other one. And when we were scheduling for March, she, she booked two sessions in one week, which I, you know, I don't even have like the availability for that in order to like be able to see all my clients. And I was like, Hey, like, was that a mistake? And she was like, no, it's the week before my workshop. And so I thought I should see you two times. And I was like, okay, you don't need to see me two times. It's going to be fine. I got you, you know, and I had to explain to her, I said, there's literally no reason. There's nothing that we're going to do in two back-to-back sessions that's going to change anything about your experience of doing your first webinar, right? Your first live workshop. So that's part of what made me want to come in and talk about this today. So there are certain things that you can never, ever, ever know how to do until you do them. And this is like a kind of like, it's like it fucks with your brain, right? Because, because on the one hand, you can be, you can get prepared for something, right? You can prepare, you can do your, your, your due diligence. You can do, you can do all the right things to prepare yourself, but then you can never prepare for knowing what it's going to feel like in your nervous system and, you know, in your body and just in your whole being when you're actually doing this thing that you've never done before. This brand new thing, it's like fully outside your comfort zone. And this is any time we do something new. Literally, any time we do something new. You know, I used to, um, I used to have, yoga students that were total beginners, right? An absolute beginner come to their very first yoga class. And I had to, like, I actually had to work at understanding why they might be scared because they would be scared. They'd be like scared to take a yoga class. And so like on the one hand, my brain was like, why would you be scared to take a yoga class? And then I I would have to like remind myself, oh, because if anytime someone does something new, it can feel scary. It's just the way that our human brains and, and, and it's just the way that we, that, that, that we're built. It's how we're constructed. So you're always going to know and the where the place you're going to know it and the place you're going to feel it is in your nervous system. And that's why a lot of times when you do do something new, right, or something outside your comfort zone, 
on the other side, like when you've done it, when it's over, you will find. And when I say this, you're going to you're going to you're going to think of a time when you know this was true on the other side of doing the thing that you never did before. And that was really outside of your comfort zone. When you do it very often, you you come out on the other side really, really like pumped with adrenaline. Like you're jacked, you know, you're like vibrating. And that is your nervous system having had an experience of doing something that you've never done before and surviving. Because you see the way that your brain is wired is to be very, very skeptical of you doing anything that you've never done before because the way your brain is wired is that it thinks that then you might die. And I I know that sounds funny, but it's true. Anything that you do that isn't just the same, your brain goes, why are you doing that? Everything that you're doing right now, exactly the way it is, is working fine because you're alive. So why mix it up? Like what? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's how your brain is wired. Even when you're like not even that happy, even when you're not even really liking your experience, right? Even when you when you're kind of miserable. There's a part of your brain that's like, don't change this misery (laughs) because your brain has one job and that's to keep you alive. It's not to, it doesn't think to keep you alive and happy and fulfilled and, you know, like on purpose and filling your mission and fulfilling your mission. It just thinks you just have to be alive. So anytime that you want to take an action that has to do with like being alive combined (laughs) with being happy, fulfilled, on purpose, not in a toxic situation, um, you know, out of a, a miserable job or relationship or whatever, right? That's something that you have to be proactive about. And, and that's why I actually created my, my, like as a life and mindset coach, right? Because I'm not just a business coach. I'm, a, I'm the combo. I'm like the sweet combo of the life mindset and business all together because you need it all. Um, for my, you know, when it comes to helping people to manage their brains and thoughts and be who they want to be, I call that system that I created Evolve, which I've taught on an episode, right? And the whole point of my Evolve system is to go from the contraction that our brains go into when we're like either unhappy or not liking our experience or struggling or just having something that's not going well. And our brains fixate around those things. This is, this is how our, this is brain science. This is what I've been studying, teaching and practicing for well over two decades now. Right. Um, it's going to be, I'm, I'm going to be able to say like 25 years soon. I'm going to be 55 this year. Woo. Um, so our brains contract around those difficulties. And then before we can even imagine, even begin to think of some of having it another way, we have to like expand that contraction. This is the first step of my evolved system expand. Right. And then the rest of it is visualize, observe, let go, validate, embody. Um, and this is, uh, this is a process that we could actually go through in one coaching session to change like a thought or a belief, or sometimes like it's the deeper work that we have to like kind of do over the course of time 
to really break open that contraction and bring more expansion into your being so that we can create a landscape that we could then do the other work to do the, like, a lot of times when we're really contracted around the difficulty, we have to do a lot of work before we can even begin to visualize something else. I'm sure you've been in that place. I call it the land of no, right? The land of no is when like, not only are you fucking miserable, but you're also not willing to believe that there's anything you can do about it. <laughs> That's the land of no, right? So some things take longer than others. So, okay, I but I digress. So all of this is to say that that there's that that there's no oh oh the nervous system right is that your nervous system is such a huge um part of of this um experience of having to do things maybe before you think you're ready because there's no such thing as being ready and because your nervous system is already like even on a like a subtle level letting you know oh fuck like if you do that i'm going to have a reaction. I'm going to get jacked. I'm going to I'm going to have some feelings. I'm going to right and and so sometimes we we're afraid of that. It's a new sensation, right? Like so much goes on when we do new things. That that sometimes we we don't even realize that that we're avoiding doing the new thing out of fear not only of what's going to happen, like that we're going to fuck it up or we're not going to be able to do it or we're going to humiliate ourselves or it's going to be a disaster or no one's going to come. I mean, I could give you the whole list. I mean, because it, go, it goes through my mind too, right? They're like the whole list of all the reasons that we shouldn't put the fucking date on the calendar, right? So on the other hand, what I teach is we've got to put the date on the calendar so that we have some sort of container, so that we have some sort of, you know, like reason to be doing the work that we're doing. And then at, and then you've got to just do, you've got to just do, right? And, and then there's a lot of trust that like, I'm going to get you as prepared as possible before you have to <laughs> jump off the cliff, right? Without me. Because that's the other thing is I think that because I'm such a, um, I'm such a, a hand-holding coach in a good way. I think this is a good thing and that I'm really handholdy. I'm really elbow linking. I'm really partnery with my clients because I want you to feel like you're not alone. And I want you to feel like someone who knows how to do all these things is there with you. But I can't then like sit next to you uh, on Zoom. <laughs> like I can't be with you. I can't come to your networking event or to a talk or whatever and like stand next to you, right? Like at some point you then have to do it by yourself. So I wanted to tell you this story that I never told you in, I've never told this story on the show before. And um, it was just coming up so much for me lately when I was thinking about like this whole idea of um, of of never being able to be as ready as you think you're going to want to be. And I was thinking like, why is this so, why, like, why do I know this so well? You know, like, why is this something that I know so well? It's not something that someone taught me. It's not something that feels like intellectual for me. It's something that like I know in the core of my being and I've had to talk about it even before I was a coach, 
when I trained yoga teachers to be yoga teachers, I would have to have the same conversation with them about teaching their first class, right? And I would do, I would lead my teacher trainings and then basically to graduate, you had to take a written exam and essentially like a practicum, right? Which was to teach a class that either I or, you know, like at a certain point, like other, you know, whatever teachers that like were part of the program would take. And then, you know, give loving feedback, but mostly just be there to make sure that you didn't teach like a class that was completely like not a yoga class, like basically, right? It was basically to make sure that like someone didn't like go in after being in a training and then say shit or do shit or put a class together that like, you know, that basically sucked, you know? But anything other than that was like great um, and 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 totally acceptable, even with feedback, if, if there was feedback necessary. Um, so I would have all of these teachers coming out of the teacher training and then terrified to teach a class and... Um, and wanting to delay their, like the date, you know, being like, can I have my date like three months from now? And I'd be like, no, like (laughs) in order for you to graduate, you got to do this like soon. And, and so I even saw this then, right. This sort of like this fear of getting and of doing, of teaching the class as if there was going to be some further prep or further way that they could be ready for it. So, so I was, teaching this years ago. And so I was like, where did this come from in me that I have this like really, really, really um, deep understanding of what happens in your nervous system when you do something new and why human beings try to put it off, delay it and avoid it. And that that's and that that's not a thing. That's that's really the thing I'm saying. Like, why do I know this so well? And I realized that it's because of something that has had a deep impact on me from my childhood. And you may have listened to uh, if you listen to the show regularly, then you know that um, not that long ago, I don't know, like maybe um, end of end of 2022, I put out an episode that was about um, identity shifting. And in that episode, I talked about this like really deep experience that I had um, going to see a production of Annie recently that that one of the women who was an orphan in the show with me on Broadway um, directed, right? So now here we are in our 50s. She's a director and she directed this um, tour of Annie. And I went to see it with a bunch of, you know, my other Annie orphan friends. (laughs) And it was really moving. It was a really, really profound, deep experience because um, even though there have been other revivals and stuff and, and, you know, the movie and TV, there's never been any stage version of Annie that I've ever seen, right? And we're talking a long time. I I was in the show from when I was 10 till I was 12. And, um, you know, and I'm going to be 55. I've never seen another version of Annie that was as, that was really like the one I was in. That was like really true to the original, that really captured so much of the magic and the specialness of like, Annie was just like so special. Um, 
So my friend Jen, of course, directed the quintessential production of Annie, which is still touring. So if you're listening, um, look up Annie Tour 2023 and see if it's coming near you because it's so good. Okay. So anyway, um, but I had gone to see the show. And so it was like a lot of stuff coming up because like being in that show in the original production when Annie was like, you know, like a monster hit. It was like, you know, world takeover um, was a big deal. And it had a lot, it left a lot of lasting impression on me in a really good way. It was such an amazing um, experience. And I've always felt like, uh, you know, it was, I've always felt special that I could say that I played one of the orphans in Annie on Broadway because they're all told there were like less than 30 of us, I think total, or I don't know, something like that. So anyway, so Annie's been kind of like coming up more for me. Um, it's just around, I'm going to go see it again, that tour when it's in New Jersey in two weeks. Um, and so I realized that this really, really like amazing experience that happened to me that I had when I first got in the show, probably without my even knowing it, really taught me this thing that I'm telling you about, which is that there's no way to be prepared to do the thing. So I'm going to tell you this story because it's just an awesome story. And I think you'll like it. And I think you'll get a lot of what I'm saying about why, why I feel so strongly about the I'll be ready when and preparation and everything. So settle in because this is a good one. Okay. So, um, I'm, I'm even going to tell you how I got cast in the show. So when I was 10 and Annie was like the, you know, the biggest show on Broadway, every little girl, every little, and probably little boys too, everyone wanted to be an Annie. It was, you know, this was the, a show with like, you know, seven, <laughs> there were like seven, um, girls on stage, you know, and, um, wait, is it six or seven? Well, with Annie. Yeah. And, um, uh, and everyone wanted to be an Annie. It was the biggest sensation and everyone had the album and everyone sang all the songs and knew every word of every song and wanted to be Andrea McArdle. I mean, you know, every, everything. And so I went to a performing arts sleepaway camp the summer that I was turning 10. And then the um the 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 couple that managed the theater department lived in New York they lived they lived here on Long Island in New York and they had an acting school on Saturdays during the school year in Manhattan and so i came home from camp and i told my parents oh i want to go to the acting school on Saturdays every saturday with all these my friends from camp and so i was going to this acting school and one of the um days they thought it would be really great to bring in a casting director uh, and an agent and basically like teach us or show us what it would be like to have an audition, right? Like to, to kind of let us know what the experience would be like. And so, you know, we have this workshop and of course they ask for volunteers. Okay. And of course I'm like, I'll volunteer. So I get up and, and I sing tomorrow um, for my quote unquote audition. And when my parents came to pick me up, the manager went up to my parents and said, Hey, would you want to, you know, bring Stacy in 
to, you know, meet and maybe start going on some auditions. And so my parents, who were like young and clueless, uh, they were like, okay. And they said to me, like, do you want to do that? And my answer was, well, I want to be an Annie. (laughs) So we went and met with them. And we sit down in their office and they're like, so would you be excited to go on some auditions for TV commercials? And I was like, nope, I just want to be an Annie. And they they were literally like, OK, well, you know, every they, without saying it this way, they were basically said, well, everyone wants to be an Annie, you know, and they said, OK, well, you know, when an audition, oh, you know, comes through, we'll, of course, try to get you an audition. But, you know, it may be a while. And, you know, they basically were saying, like, don't get your hopes up. So I go on a couple of commercial auditions and lo and behold, they decide to put out the national tour of Annie, you know, the first national tour. And the manager calls my parents and says, do you want, um, you know, to bring Stacy on this audition for Annie? It's for the national tour. And my parents are like, but my parents were like, what? We can't go on a national tour. I mean, my father had like a local business and I had a little brother. And my parents were like, we're not going on a tour. And the manager said, well, don't worry about it. She's never even gone on an audition before. Like, she's not going to get it, but at least she'll get the experience of going on the audition. So my parents say, okay, well, we'll go on the audition. So we go to the audition and it's, there are like 200 girls there, like 200 girls at the audition. And the very first thing that we had to do is get measured for height, because if you were over a certain height, they like you weren't allowed to audition. Then once you got past the height check, you know, we were all brought in. It was in the theater on the stage. We were all brought in and, um, you know, they have a sit on the stage. There's like, you know, at this point now there's like 150 girls there or whatever. And they have us get up one at a time to sing happy birthday. So we don't get to sing anything from the show. We each one at a time sing happy birthday. And from that, they did that the next elimination And then if you made that, then they had us learn some choreography. So then we were doing some dancing and they made another elimination from that. And then we had another singing um, audition where we each got to sing parts, a part of uh, from the show, a piece of the song and blah, blah, blah. They kept doing this until finally there were 20 of us left and they lined us up along the front of the stage. Now, by this time, I know this because my mom told me like, you know, like after the fact, like a long time after. But, you know, there's my parents are like sitting in the back of the audience because they made all the uh, parents sit like where the kids couldn't see them. Like if you sit far enough back, the lighting, you know, like makes it that you can't see anyone. Um, And, you know, my parents are like shitting, right? They're like, oh, my God. Like, we are, (laughs) we said we weren't going to go on tour. The manager all but guaranteed that, you know, we'd be out of here. And now here she is, like, in the last, you know, lineup. And they're, like, freaking out. Because just think about, think about had I I gotten that tour, that what my parents, how, like, they either would have had to, like, tell me no, which which would have made me hate them for the rest of my life, or they would have to like do something that just was so not like in alignment for them. But anyway, thank God I didn't get it. So we we all sing some of tomorrow and then they send us home and then we don't hear anything. And so, you know, the assumption is, okay, I didn't get it. I didn't get the job. So three months later, my manager calls and says, we got a call from Annie and they want to see Stacy again. This time it's for the Broadway show. 
So we're like, oh my God, this is so exciting. And they say it's to be the understudy. Well, they call it the swing. So a swing is someone who know who understudies multiple parts in a show. So it means they can swing from one role, you know, they can swing into any role at a moment's notice. That's essentially what a swing is on Broadway. It's always someone who um, understudies multiple parts. So they say it's to be the swing for the orphans, right? So this is like I'm 10 years old and I'm being brought in to like, like, you know, audition to be the person who knows all the orphan parts, like, like all the different choreography, all the different lines, like all the different orphans. So we go in thinking it's going to be another like, you know, audition with lots of girls. And um, and we we go and we go, I go in and I get up on the stage and it's just me and two other girls. That's it. Just three of us. And so it's the same kind of process. It's like singing and dancing and singing and dancing and back and forth. We're there for hours. Okay. Like this is a Friday afternoon. Both my parents are there and we're, um, we're, we're there for hours. I, I joke, but I've told people in case you are a Broadway fan, if you know the show, A Chorus Line, which is supposed to be like basically a big audition, that's what the whole show is. And it all takes place like on the stage and whatever. And I always tell people, I'm like, that was the only audition I've ever been on that was anything like A Chorus Line. <laughs> right? And that's what it was like. So we're, so, you know, we we're on the stage doing it back and forth. And then I guess when they felt like they had seen enough, they said, you know, they gathered the three of us, the three little girls, and they said to us, oh, that you're all so talented. We saw everything that we needed to. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, this is all we need for now. That was like what they said. Really nice. And then they said, you know, Stacy, we just need to talk to your parents before you leave. So they waited for the other two girls to leave. And they bring me backstage with my parents and basically tell me that I got the job. And my and now it's like 530 on a Friday. And so my parents are like, what do we do? Like, do we have to call her? We had never I had never gotten a job before. They were like, should we call her manager? Like, this is like no one knows what to do. And they were like, no, don't worry about it. We already called her manager because it's the end of the day and she starts tomorrow. OK, meaning the very next day, Saturday, they wanted me to come see the show, like watch the show, because I officially started as the understudy the following Tuesday. So the backstory is that the one of the orphans, Jen, who is the one who directed the show that I'm telling you, you should go see. Jen, who played Pepper at the time, had gotten cast in a movie called Little Darlings with Tatum O'Neill. And she when you know she got cast in this movie and they were like you start filming next week that's just that's how showbiz goes right so she tells annie production i have to take a leave of absence for three months to go shoot this movie and so the understudy that was the existing understudy for all of the orphans was gonna have to play that part pepper for three months which means that they would have no understudy and they can't not have an understudy. This You just have to assume that kids are going to get sick and be out of the show or take vacation because a lot of the orphans were coming up on their two-week vacations and stuff like that. So they had to hire an understudy. And so they, so the, 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 the girl that was the understudy, she's going to be Pepper and then they're going to make me the understudy. But it all is happening. So they say, listen... The odds of anyone being out sick are like so low. You'll technically, she'll technically be the understudy, but she won't have to go on 
we'll be rehearsing. And by the time she ever has to go on, she'll be well rehearsed. She'll know the show. She'll be ready. <laughs> Hence the, the, the whole subject of our, of our, of this episode. Right. So, so everyone's like, Oh my God. Okay. We're in a frenzy. I'm like, greatest thing ever happened to me on earth. I'm now going to get to be in Annie on Broadway. I mean, this is literally like mind exploding shit. Right. So I go the next day to see the show. And then my official first day of rehearsal is Tuesdays because in, in Broadway, the week is Tuesday through Sunday right? Monday is the day off. So my first official rehearsal is on Tuesday and I go to the rehearsal studio and it's just me by myself rehearsing with the dance captain and the stage manager. They're teaching me the part of Pepper so that if anything were to happen right off the bat, then the other understudy could go play a different part and I could step into Pepper. This was their theory. So so they start teaching me Pepper and I have rehearsal on Tuesday all by myself. I think like all I learned was like five, you know, minutes of the show, like probably half of Hard Knock Life or something. Um, I'm talking about the shows if you know it, because I don't think anyone doesn't know the show Annie. So, so I rehearse on Tuesday and then I go to, I, I don't rehearse Wednesday because it's a matinee day. So my job is to sit in the theater and watch the show and be there in case anyone gets sick or, you know, hurt. And then on Thursday and Friday, I have rehearsal during the day by myself. So I'm learning a little more and learning some of the other choreography. This is a whole show that I have to learn. I have to learn the whole part of Pepper for the whole show. And I'm 10. Okay. And so, you know, they're teaching me and there's harmony and there are lines and they're staging and, you know, blocking and I'm learning all of it. And I'm watching the show at night. So I get to the show on Saturday. So now I've had three days of rehearsal and I've watched the show a couple of times. And if you had ever said to me, if I was ready, I highly doubt I would have said yes. <laughs> like I highly doubt if anyone was like, well, are you ready? Would you be ready to go on? I don't think I would have been like, oh my God, I am so ready. Um, so I go to the show and, and the other thing that, well, there's going to be a few interesting things that you're going to hear right now. One is that my parents were not prepared to have me be in a Broadway show that I had to go to the city every day from Long Island. So we're scrambling for what to do. So at this point, like, like Nate, you know, the neighbor is driving me, my grandpa is driving me, you know, and, and so it's a Saturday matinee and nobody wants to sit there from, you know, 1.30 till 11 at night. So I get dropped off. <laughs> my grandpa drives me into the city, drops me off. I'm just this like 10 year old in a Broadway theater by myself. Um, you know, the stage manager is kind of like watching over me. And so I sit on my stool. I had to sit on a stool at the back of the theater by the lighting booth to watch the show. That was my position and my job. And I'm sitting there. Now, here's the other interesting fact. At this time, Sarah Jessica Parker was playing Annie. So Sarah's Annie and the show starts and the show opens with the orphans and there's a whole scene and there's a song called Maybe and then there's the hard, it's the Hard Knock Life. And Hard Knock Life starts and uh, like a couple of bars in, Sarah goes running from the stage. She just runs off the stage. And I'm watching, I see her run off the stage and, I, and I'm not even thinking anything other than like, oh, I wonder what happened to Annie. I mean, I didn't even know and I barely knew these, these girls. I didn't even really, I don't even know if I knew their names to be honest with you. And remember, Sarah Jessica Barker was not famous. She was just playing Annie at the time. So 
Um, okay, so she runs off, and then I see that the orphan who was the Annie understudy, so that was a different orphan, starts singing the Annie part. She just starts being Annie. She's in her orphan outfit, and she's got braids, and she just starts singing being Annie. And they keep the show going with no actual Annie and just the orphans and one of the orphans being Annie. And they play out the whole scene. And after the scene ends, it's the whole scene where Annie runs away and they play out the whole scene. And then what would have been the next scene would have been the sun will come out tomorrow scene. And they bring the curtain down and they turn up the lights and they make an announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, please stay in your seats. This show will resume shortly. That's literally all they said. So I am like on my stool and I don't have any parents there with me, but the other orphans, their moms were always there and they were standing at the railing and like, you know, watching the show. That's what they did every night. So they're standing there and they're watching the show and the curtain comes down, whatever. I get off my stool. I go over, I tug on. So I remember this. I tug on one of the mom's pant legs and I'm like, um, uh, you know, what's going on? And she goes, oh, get back on your stool. They're going to need to find you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I go back on my stool. And sure enough, within like literally one second, a stage manager comes, takes me by the hand and says, come with me. And they walk me all through the audience to like the door that leads to the backstage. And I go backstage and I get whisked. That's not even an exaggeration. Whisked to the orphan's dressing room where there are people waiting there, a dresser and the, the the dance captain and the stage manager and everyone. And they're there and they start ripping this. This is going to sound really bad, like, you know, in 2023. They're like ripping my clothes off so that they can dress me in the orphan costume. They're putting my hair in the pigtails and braids, whatever. And then they're sitting in front of me with what's called like they call it the Bible. It's like this giant book that has all of the staging and cues and everything in it. And they're saying to me, so do you remember what, what you learned yesterday? And you're going to walk here and you're going to walk here and you're going to go here. And then this is the part that you sing in the song. And they're like reviewing what I learned like two days ago with me. And meanwhile, I can hear the over the loudspeaker in the dressing room, they've now brought the show back up. And now Randall, the orphan that was the understudy for Annie, is playing Annie. She's fully on the stage singing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow. And they're saying to me, you're going to be going on like in the next scene is the little girl's scene. And so literally within 10 minutes, I was standing in the wings in an orphan costume, lined up with the orphans. And then I was in the show. After three days of rehearsal, I was in the show. I was on Broadway. <laughs> and my parents weren't there. And I went downstairs at intermission where there was a payphone in the basement. And I collect called my house first and no one answered. And then I called my father's work. And I and I made a collect call. And he, of course, was worried when he got on the phone because, like, you're a little kid calling you from New York City. Why would you not just be worried and think the worst? And instead, I'm like, I'm on. And my father was like, what? I'm like, I'm in the show. And the, to me, I'm, like, all excited. And to my father, he's hearing my kids making her Broadway debut and I'm not there. So that was, like, a little sad for him. So anyway, I do the whole show. And then my parents drive into Manhattan because they're like, 
I didn't even know what happened. I didn't know. So what had happened was that Sarah Jessica Parker had had hit her front tooth with her scrub brush and broke her tooth. And so they whisked her to a dentist to fix the front tooth, put a temporary crown cap on it, whatever. And she was back for the night show. But I, my parents didn't know what happened. So they like came in thinking maybe I was going to go on again that night, which I did not. So my Broadway debut was three quarters of a show with three days of rehearsal when I was 10 years old. And if you ask me if I think that I was ready, I don't even remember at the time. But what I can tell you is I now really believe, and this is not a story that's not like I haven't thought about this ever. But when I was thinking about this this thing that has always come up for me with everyone who I mentor, teach, coach, and help or whatever about this idea that like, there's just not, there's just no preparation. There's just no, there's just no way to be fully ready and that that's okay. I think that it comes from that experience in my life. So anyway, so that was awesome that, you know, and then of course I didn't go on again for like a little while and I got lots more rehearsal and I learned everything. And then the next time I did go on, it was like planned. It was like when one of the orphans was going on vacation and I got to like do the show. And then I actually was in the show for two years and I ended up, you know, getting, being, becoming Duffy, a permanent part. Um, And the girl who stepped into Annie that day, Randall, um, you know, she's my friend. She came to see the Annie with me that I just went to a few weeks ago and my friend Karen and my friend Janine. So, you know, we have this like amazing um, experience that I really, when I think about aspects of it, really shaped me. And then I was, when I saw the show again recently, I was struck by the, the, just like the emotion and the, the amazing book, the amazing story. And I thought, oh my God, because people always say to me, you're so positive. You're so positive. You have such a positive energy. You're so positive. Now, a lot of that is that I've done a lot of work on how to like manage a mind. (laughs) It's like, it's what I've been doing for like over two decades is learning how to manage a mind, right? This crazy object that we have that can go really rogue and that cannot serve us at the highest level. And I've spent a lot of my life figuring out how to make it work, you know, how to like work this unbelievable instrument of the mind to my greatest advantage. And that like also relates to the nervous system, right? I've spent a lot of my life also learning how to manage the nervous system. That's what yoga is, right? Yoga is the management of the nervous system. And I think when you learn how to manage your nervous system, you have so much more control over your experience and and you know how to prepare yourself better um you know what to do when your nervous system is going to have a new experience and is going to maybe freak out a little and you know how to manage that you know how to prepare for that right And you learn that that's what you're preparing for rather than thinking that you can prepare to not have the experience of something new and different or feeling risky or stepping outside of your comfort zone. So when it comes to figuring out how to be ready for these things that you want to do, to shine, to go big, 
to do a workshop, to go on stage, to be a speaker, to, to, to take these risks, to be visible, to put yourself out there, to, to, to use your voice, to ask for an opportunity. Say, hey, I'd really like to do that. Can I, could, could, could you, could, could I do that? Right? Like whatever that is. You're never going to do any of those things if you're thinking that you're somehow going to get some divine sign from the universe that you're ready or that you're prepared. That's not going to happen first. First, you're going to have to decide that you're going to do as much preparation as you can. In my case, it was like what I got, right? It wasn't like as much preparation as I could. It was like oh, three days rehearsal and you're in, right? Unexpectedly. But it's really important to, to now, right? Like when you do have control over your situation, if you even do, um, to know that what you're really preparing for is the fact that you want a nervous system that that is going to be able to, that, that you're going to tell yourself in your nervous system that you're going to have an experience of doing something new, that you're going to survive, that you're not going to die, right? If you entertain all of the what ifs, if you entertain all of the fears, if you, if you dwell and spend all of your time imagining all of the horrible things that could happen to you if you were to like do a workshop before you were ready, or if you were to do a talk, or if you were to go live on social media, or if you were to say yes to, you know, being a speaker somewhere, or if you were to be the one to present at your networking group or whatever, right? whatever, make a podcast, write a book, like anything, make art, be a teacher, all the things that like require for you to, you know, to, to really, um, step outside of your comfort zone to do the thing. Um, if you're, if you're waiting for that readiness, it's never going to come, but what you can do is you can, oh, I know what I was saying. I just lost my train of thought. But so if you, if you entertain all of those worst things that could happen, you could forget your lines, you could trip, you could, you know, have a tech glitch, you could, um, no one could show up, uh, you could lose your place, you could uh, stumble over your words, you could, you know, mess up, but, 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 you know, whatever it is, whatever it is, you could free, you know, freeze. All of those what ifs, there's literally nothing that you'll ever be able to do to, to guarantee that none of those things will happen. And on the other hand, if any of those things were to happen, here's what we know. You'll survive. You won't die. And when we make out the other people, the audience, whoever is going to be watching us or seeing us, when we make them out to be these horrible, vicious people who are waiting for you to fail, you're never going to want to do anything. But if you really think about, look, I mean, when you see, like, I mean, when Rihanna performed at the Super Bowl and you could see, like, this huge spectrum, right, of people 
you know, being like, oh my God, she's so incredible. What a businesswoman. She powdered her nose. She did brand placement. She showed that she was pregnant. She did more being pregnant than like, you know, so-and-so does like, you know, whatever. And then you've got the whole other range of people who are like, that was low key. It was low energy. That wasn't Super Bowl worthy, blah, blah, blah. But like, that's fucking Rihanna. That's like, that happens to people that like put themselves on massive, massive global stages And that is the expectation. I guarantee you that anyone at that level knows that when you put yourself at that level of visibility, you're just expecting that it's not that everyone is going to love it. Not everyone is going to love it. And what you and I and people like that are not on that that big of a global stage yet have to remember is that is that the likelihood of having like, you know, people um, be happy if you fuck up or that they're going to mock you or make fun of you or not want to work with you or like that the, there's a reality, which is that it's just not going to happen. I'm telling you, you know, yeah, like if you start being like more visible and you do a TEDx talk, like if you ever watched Brene Brown's special one of the things I love that she talks about is like the first time she saw like someone say some like make a, a you know, like a not nice remark about I think it was about her appearance, actually, um, when she, you know, went viral with like her talk. Um, and, you know, but I can't remember now. I wasn't prepared to like quote this, but um, she says something about like if you're not if you're not in the room or if you're not stepping out on the stage, then like you have no business like saying anything kind of a thing, right? Like if you're not putting yourself out there, then who gives a shit about your opinion? And I love that. And I operate from that place. And so I want you to operate from that place too, if you're willing. And maybe to believe me, you know, I've been doing a lot. I make myself really visible. Um, and you know, have, do I think that everyone loves me and loves everything I do? No, I don't. I I actually don't. I'm sure that, that that's not true. I knew when I took yoga that there were like people who, um, when I taught yoga, that there were people who loved my classes and there were people who never took my class. And just like, I'm sure that one time, (laughs) one time, in a Facebook group that I'm in that with a lot of people that I went to the same um, coaching school as um, someone, someone responded to a comment that I made and asked for the link to my show, to my podcast. And so in a direct message, I said, Hey, you know, thanks for wanting to know about my show. Here's the link. Um, you know, I, you know, and I think it was like about something specific, like about niche or whatever. And I was like the episode or whatever. And I told her, and then what I do, if someone like makes contact with me like that on social media, and you've heard me say this, what, what I do is, is then, you know, I circle back. So I don't know, like a week later, I sent her a message and I was like, Hey, did you get a chance to listen to, you know, to the show? And she wrote back, yes, like one word. And then I was like, oh, did did it? <laughs> I don't know why I pushed. I was like, oh, did you find it helpful? And she wrote back, not really. <laughs> That's literally what she wrote. Not really. Um, so I know for a fact that at least one person does not like my show. <laughs> and I'm sure there are others. <laughs> but anyway, so 
so what it, you know, what, what do I want to leave you with? I want to leave you with that I am guaranteeing, promising you from the bottom of my heart that there are certain things that you can't learn until you do them, that you cannot get ready enough, that you cannot be prepared enough. You can prepare and I will help you get prepared and I won't do what happened to me. I won't trick you and be like, well, now that I told you that you could uh, do this in six weeks, I'm changing it and you have to do it tomorrow. Like I would never do that to you. But I will tell you that there's never going to be a way for you to avoid that experience of doing the thing that you've never done before. And you just have to embrace it. And we can like rev you up and like and pump you up and get you really excited for it. And there are all kinds of exercises and tools that we use to like raise our vibrations and to be in our, I call it your genius brain. There's so many things that we can do to get you as ready as possible. And then it's go time. So that's what I wanted to share with you. Oh, you know what? I'm going to tell you this really quick other thing that this also is what fucking happened to me with teaching yoga. So I do my yoga teacher training. And at the same time, I was the manager of this studio that I did my teacher training because I couldn't afford to do the teacher training. And so I agreed to pay part and then work off the rest of it by by working at the studio. So I do my yoga teacher training, but I also am like kind of the manager of the studio. I graduate. This is how I'm going to leave you. I graduate on the like Friday or Saturday. And on the Monday morning, I get a call at like 630 in the morning or six in the morning from the teacher that teaches the like 11 a.m. class who was like one of the most popular teachers at the studio. She was like my mentor saying that she's really sick and can't teach. And so I call my bosses who were like, you know, the head teachers. And I'm like, oh my God, Sarah, this is also a Sarah. Oh my God, I never made this connection before. Sarah Jessica Parker. And then this Sarah, I can't remember her last name, British Sarah. Okay. So Sarah, I call my bosses and I say, Sarah is very sick. She can't teach her class. And you know what they did? They went, so you teach it. And I was like, what? I just graduated on Saturday and I've never taught a yoga class before. And she's like the most like other most popular teacher besides you guys. And they were like, you'll be fine. You teach it. So I had to teach that class that day with my teachers taking it. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. I totally forgot about that. All right. So there, there you have it. Two major times in my life when I had to fucking do shit when I didn't think I was ready. And so can you. Now I'm really going. All right. I love you. I can't wait to be with you next week. And please come join me for um, the Monday 430 chat in my Facebook group. If you've never written a review of the show and you would be so like so kind and generous to go on Apple and write a written review, those reviews help the show's um, kind of, uh, you know, I don't know stats uh, a lot so if you would do that I would be really really grateful pass the show on tell people about it help help us um, help us go big help us get really big alright love you bye 
Thank you so much for listening to Passionate and Prosperous with me, Stacey Brass Russell. If you like what you're listening to, please make sure you're following or subscribing. And if you're on Apple, that's the little plus sign on the top right so that you get notified when new episodes drop every Wednesday. As always, I'm sending you love and high vibes. And remember, life is hard and there's always something you can do about it. 